Whether it's Ann Baxter's portrayal of scheming ambition in All About Eve, or the true life story of Shirley MacLaine stepping in for Carol Haney on The Pajama Game, understudies have occupied a unique niche in both the fiction and reality of theater. Hi, I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing, and today we're discussing the role of the understudy. We're going to hear the real stories of dedicated performers who have to be ready at the drop of a hat or the twist of an ankle to step into someone else's role. Joining me today are Tony Carlin, understudy for Lend Me a Tenor, Brian Fankert, understudy in Memphis, Corinne Melanson, understudy in Mamma Mia, Jay Russell, understudy in Our Town, and Paul Schaefer, understudy in Phantom of the Opera. Welcome to you all. I want to start with uh, the most obvious question. Everyone remembers their first time. Can you each tell us about the first time you went on as an understudy? And I'll start with Tony. Well, it wasn't uh, last minute because I was understudying who I, uh, at the time, I, I started to call the Lou Gehrig of Broadway, Michael Kumsty in Copenhagen. And this was, uh, was much anticipated because it was an hour and a half of talk with three chairs and three actors, and then an intermission, and then another hour of talk about physics. So that, that's like the, the gold standard of being ready for an understudy. And I went on, and luckily I didn't have to talk first and I watched Blair Brown and Phil Bosco being in slightly different light than I was used to them being because I was used to being in the audience. <laughs> there I was watching them and thinking, I better stop thinking this because I'm here too. And uh, I started and there was one time where I messed up one word. I think I said physics theory instead of physics practice or something. And suddenly the thought bubble came to me. Oh my God. I've got another hour and a half on stage. Am I, am I just going to blow up and are they going to dim the lights and the stage manager will come on? And, sorry. We thought he was ready. <laughs> we'll have to cancel this show. And in Copenhagen, the whole audience is on the stage and in the audience. And I had to get, say, okay, stop thinking that, get, get it together. And it was fine. <laughs> Brian, I know you've been on a bunch recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, for Chad Kimball in Memphis. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time you've understudied? Yeah, it's my first time on Broadway. This so, is the Broadway debut. So tell us about the first time you had to go on in well, I was I was lucky to find out the night before, which was nice. We heard him getting a little gravelly, so <clears throat> stage management pulled me aside, told me that I'd probably be on. Sure enough, they told me that uh, he'd be calling out the next day. But, you know, this is my Broadway debut. I've never done anything like this before. And uh, so for me to go from that to carrying a show, I mean, this is a beast of a part. I mean, it's two and a half hours, and he's off stage for a grand total of four minutes. The producers clocked it once. You know, 20 seconds here, 30 seconds there. But it adds up to a grand total of four minutes that he's off stage. So I go from nothing to that. You know, that's zero to 60. And, and it's, uh, it was pretty terrifying, especially because when we're doing understudy rehearsals, 
you know, you're rehearsing with folding chairs and stage managers, mm. and you know, then you get in there and there's moving set pieces, and the radio booth comes out of the floor, and you're <laughs> like, oh, and there's fire, and and I'm just, it's it's a terrifying thing then because you know I, I play a, a, a DJ. So I get into this radio booth and there's buttons and switches and records and I'm like, this is not a folding chair, I don't know how it works. But do any of them actually work or they're just oh, there yeah, for no, show? Oh yeah, they function, they oh. function. And you know, there's a working microphone in there, so I'm like, don't get too close to that. There's cigarettes like rehearsing and rehearsing in front smoke. of 1,500 people. Right, right. So you know, it, be, it became this whole thing of look like you know what you're doing, look like you know what you're doing. And uh, so the first time was, was terrifying just because I felt like I had been completely shot out of a cannon with uh, no idea what I was doing. But then, you know, the more I've done it, I just, uh, I, I feel like I can sort of make it my own now. But man, that first time, I, I felt like I was just, uh, I, I didn't remember what happened. The stage managers came up to me afterwards and said, so how was it? I said, what just happened? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a very common response to the first show. Is that you go through the whole show and then afterwards you it, it's like time had literally just disappeared for two hours oh, yeah. you have yeah. no idea what your body did the adrenaline was just running the whole thing i i, I <clears throat> related to that experience where you said the lights were different uh because you have such sensitivity to the light because of the adrenaline in your system uh -huh. that it's such, like or or the sound how just how much louder or Everybody's drastic yelling at it each is. Other. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just, they're up at the performance. And they're, oh, 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 oh. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us about the first time you went on as, as an understudy. Uh, the first time I went on as an understudy, I was on a tour of a show called Thoroughly Modern Millie, um, which I love. I just adore that show. And I was covering the two, the two men in it. And um, I think the first time I was on for, was for Trevor, who's this kind of... Um, he has a, a speed. He, he's a, he has a, actually has a patter song in the middle of it, and it's kind of like with all that adrenaline. Who knows what tempo you're going to go? Uh, <laughs> but you have to practice. I mean, in rehearsal, you're going. Might as well open to this office. I mean, just over and over and over and over again, getting all that, all the wordage and all that stuff in. But I have no memory of it whatsoever because it was, huh. it was, I was. I mean, for me, I was uh, twenty. 24, 23 years old, and it was just an adrenaline explosion. Mm. It's just, I remember having a good time, but I don't rem I just remember flying the whole time. Hmm. I mean, it's not, now that I've gotten a little bit more comfortable being an understudy, now I can kind of uh, be used to my environment and understand the stage a little bit more. I'm just hmm. more comfortable on that stage, so I can kind of be okay. Even if I haven't gone on in a couple of months, I can still kind of be comfortable with the stage as my home. But when I when you when I first started out, oh, hmm. who knows? High stress, high high stress. It's exciting. Corinne, what about <laughs> you? Yeah. Well, my first time as an understudy was the tour of Grand Hotel, and um, I was fortunately for me I had been a swing previously, so I kind of knew what it felt like to have to be thrown on stage without ever having done it with the rest of the cast before. But I covered. Um, <clears throat> there were. Eight women in the cast of Grand Hotel, and I covered seven of them. Oh my! <laughs> and the first time I went on was wow. for the ballerina. I don't know if you know the show, but it sure. was, it show, was yeah. Liliane Montevecchi on tour. And um, <clears throat> I did know the day before, fortunately. And I was so excited and so nervous at the same time. I got to the theater three hours early, and because um, I had to do my ballet bar and get ready. And the the thing about that show was that she wasn't on stage a, terrib a terribly long amount of time, but when she was on stage, she had to do things like 
dance on point. And not only that, but put the point shoes on, on stage, in a certain amount of time during a song. And so there were all these little technical things that I was so concerned with. I was also about 20 years too young to really be playing this part. So we had um, a hair and makeup team, husband and wife team on the show. And they decided that to make me look older, they were going to do this very dramatic ballerina makeup, which was fine. But I got to the theater early all with the intention of you know, rehearsing and doing my own thing and doing what I had to do. And I also have to say that they had done a lot of film work, makeup on film. So I was in there in the hair room for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and they're putting such gorgeous, gorgeous detail in my eyes <laughs> and lashes. Individual lashes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's 1.30. The show's at 3. I gotta rehearse. I gotta get out of here. And they're doing my, and all this, I mean, I looked incredible, but it wasn't on Places. film. People were <laughs> yeah. out there. So, and then the other funny thing that happened, the show, it actually went fine. But, and these are the only two things I remember beforehand, the makeup. And during the show, in the scene where Grushinsky, as the character's name, dances on point, Lillian used to put her microphone pack, she just used to tuck it in the back of her tights. And that's it. No mic belt or anything. She would just tuck it in there. And I thought, well, if she does it that way, I'm going to do it that way. So I tuck it in the back of my tights, and I'm dancing, bourreeing, you know, dying swan stuff. And it starts sliding down and sliding down and sliding. By the time really I was done, swan. it was literally between my legs oh. in my tights. And, oh, it was, I mean, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, that was the only thing I remember about the mm -hmm. performance, but I didn't really, as they say, I said all the words and I didn't bump into the furniture, so it was, it was okay. You but. do have to <coughs> take, you sort of are in that, you, where you take care of the makeup and the, and the wardrobe people because they're new to you too. Yes. And they have their routine and everything, and so that, that takes a little away from what you plan on for your preparation. That's part of it. That's, That's part it of it, is being there as a, as a model, as a dummy, mm -hmm. you know, because they haven't fit you yet. Sometimes they don't have the right costume yet. Yeah. Right. They you know. And every time I've ever gone on for the first time as an understudy, people are coming into your dressing room every five minutes. You can't, I mean, it's the time when you need the most time to yourself. Notes, to think notes. Notes and <laughs> costume things and hair things and this and that and the other thing and you just yes. want to say, leave me alone. <laughs> I need to focus. Yeah. That kind of leads into my story of, I covered in this show called The Play What I Wrote that came from <laughs> London uh, that Kenneth Branagh directed. Uh, two guys wrote it and starred in it, and they had no covers. And then the third guy, Toby Jones, who is now does quite a lot of films, who physically could not be more different. I mean, he's short and, you know, just completely different from me. Uh, I covered him. And uh, we had a mystery celebrity guest star as part of the show, so they were so busy rehearsing that that I never had a rehearsal, ever. And I had no costumes and no rehearsal, and they basically told me that I would never go on. But I certainly learned it because I thought, well, that's my job. And at 8.30 one morning, my phone rang, and it was the stage manager who had never called me. <laughs> and I didn't even have to go to the theater for this job. And she said, um, it was a very physical show. And uh, she's like, Toby's having problems walking today. Um, he's going to go to the doctor, but um, I don't know, maybe you should come in. And I was like, okay. And it was like, uh, 
20 <laughs> costumes and quick changes, and I fit into none of his clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so Man, all day, nothing. So they went out and like they're, you know, we're having a sort of an all day put in and they're sewing me in. It was like top hat and tails, a bathing suit, uh, you know, crazy, a polyester disco outfit. And they're buying stuff and stapling me in. And uh, they wouldn't even really, as the day went on, they're like, I, he might be able to do it. We're not sure. And then we think he won't. No, we think he will. And finally at five o'clock, they're like, you're on. And uh, it was... You know, I mean, the thing about this is after you get through that adrenaline, you feel like, bring it on. I mean, nothing scares me now. I mean, yeah, I exactly. went on in my Broadway debut with no rehearsal, having never rehearsed the quick changes, <gasps> never rehearsed oh with God. the other people. And, you know, it was great. And I ended up doing it for two weeks then while he was in physical therapy, which was, you know, amazing. Hmm. Certainly in the... The fictional version of an understudy going on, it's the voice of God comes on as everyone's seated in the audience and there's an announcement saying, at tonight's performance, the role normally played by. Normally now we see these little slips when we come, fall out of our playbill when we get there um, or there's a sign in the lobby. Do you get any sense from the audience when you're going on about how they feel about an understudy? going on for for someone they may or may not be expecting to see? I think that the most, um, str the strongest response that we get is when we go on in the middle of a show. Mm -hmm. When uh, a principal drops out because they have an injury or a sickness. This happened to me two nights ago. I, I've never done this before, ever. And um, the row was sick. It was the first show on a Wednesday. And the row was sick throughout the show, so they told me, uh, get ready, just in case he's feeling nauseous, you know, he's, he's complaining before every scene. So I'm like, okay, so I get my makeup and I, and I get everything together, just in case I have to kind of run up there and throw everything on and start. He gets through the whole show, totally fine. Um, and I'm like, always oh, going to call him for the second show. Doesn't call him for the second show. He's like, well, I'm over my nausea, it's just my stomach's kind of cramping now. And I'm like, okay, I guess he's okay. So then I get comfortable. After the first scene, management comes up to me and says, Paul, you need to get ready as soon as possible. And he had already started the part. This was for Raoul Vicomte de Chaunier. He's already started this part. He's already introduced himself as an old man. They introduce himself as a young man and develops his relationship with Christine. He's already gone through that first scene. And then all of a sudden, I come shooting out in this middle of this other scene as a totally new person. No one knows who I am. They, they, they start calling me Ral, but you could literally feel the audience kind of shift. Just kind of like, what? Uh -huh. What just happened? Was that a different because guy? They, because if it happens <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the, of, of the first act, they don't announce it till the intermission. Right. So the audience is just getting something <laughs> new. Just, <laughs> and I went on and it was, I couldn't believe how, I mean, I haven't been nervous in that stage in a long time. I was really nervous. It was, because it gets you out of the rhythm. Of course, you haven't yeah, done the exposition. You haven't done the first, yeah. You usually kind of warm into that. And, I mean, it was, it was a wild ride. And then during the intermission, they had an announcement saying, Paul Schaefer, since this point in the first act, has been playing Raoul and will continue to play By the way. And the whole audience goes, oh. Or they go, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> or something, like, yeah, we know somebody's new out there. But Have any of you had to step in during a performance? Any of the others? Yes, intermission a couple of times, which is not quite as jarring as the middle of an act for the audience. But still, the whole... 
you don't have, you don't get to create that arc for your character. What, like you said, starting at the beginning, you jump in in the middle. It's jarring not only for the audience, but for the actor too, I hmm. think. And you just sort of, you, you do sense this sort of uh, feeling from the audience of, this is so weird now, who is that person? Mm. <laughs> and, you know, mm. even though the announcement was made and they knew it was going to be another person, it's just odd. Well, they bought the convention, and, they, and you have to, yeah. they have to kind of rebuy that that person now is this. You know. But at well, the end, they're very appreciative. Yeah. They think they they feel like they've seen something mm -hmm. really Historic exciting. And live, and yeah. live theater, you know. Well, that's the experience I've always had as an audience member: is that actually the audiences end up pulling for you. They really do when you're in the show, and you can you you can feel the applause change, even if it's not the leading role. That just as they acknowledge that, that you're an understudy, they knew you weren't going to be there, they had a good time, and they let you know it. There is a sense of live theater. The people in New York, or outside of New York, go to see theater because it's live. And this is more live <laughs> than they paid for, even. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I've understudied a couple of people <clears throat> who were famous that people would come to see. And I was very aware of when I went on for Alec Baldwin, that's the first thing they would see is not Alec Baldwin. And in the part, not Alec Baldwin. <laughs> you know, and you get booed when they make the announcement. All not really. really. I didn't have that um, experience. It was a small enough show, maybe in bigger musicals where there's more money involved and more seats. This was a very, this was an off-Broadway okay. uh, at the Laura Pels. Um, and I expected that. And I've expected that uh, for other people. And I've been surprised that they were not only pulling for me in the beginning, but they appreciated seeing it because we're all ready and we give just as good a performance, not a famous performance, but I mean, it must be different when you're covering for a name because people are, um, are buying tickets for that name rather yeah. than for the show. And, and if for they're the above story. the title, they can't, you could potentially get your money back. Sure. Right. Back, right? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, that was the first story I heard when I started, you know, understudying some of the names was Liza Minnelli's understudy in The Rink where a stage manager, lovely friend of the understudy. You were Liza Minnelli's understudy? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And you looked around a long time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where the stage manager, like, taped, you remember um, cassette tapes, um, <laughs> taped the reaction after the announcement, oh. the boom, 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 oh. boom, the tromping out to the box wow. office oh, to get there, you know, wow. just as a joke, just as a joke, because that had to happen, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, at some point, but that's, that's... What about, I'm curious, that. in a musical, if, <clears throat> I know you're in the show and you cover, so you're warmed up and ready to go if you had to go on an admission, but like something like Phantom, if you oh, have to go mid-show, show oh, you are, yeah. so your voice is ready if... Well, if you're going on for the Phantom, I mean, the ensemble sings a certain amount and you only have to warm up for that certain right, amount, right. if you're going on for the Phantom, I mean, that is, that is a very vocally challenging part. Yeah. So I, I actually, I actually ha have another understudy friend who went on mid-show, uh, and that happens very rarely with the Phantom, because the Phantom either can do it or you can't do it. Right. Mm. Um, and he did really well, but I, I, you'd have to warm up for, I mean, at least 15 minutes of warming up right. to, to get ready for that. I mean, it's all G-sharps over and over, the high, high, high. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. it is what it is, oh you know. My goodness. Hopefully the adrenaline will just get you through it. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. time that, at least. That works too. Yeah. 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 Where are you as understudies when you're not 
in the show? I mean, are you just sitting backstage? Are you waiting for a phone call? What's, what's the life of knowing whether or not you're going on? Do you have to report to the theater every night? Ten years ago or whatever, when Copenhagen was on, it was incredible because once they knew everybody was there, they were, they were set. And I had a nine-month-old baby at home, so it was fantastic to be out in New Jersey and call in. At this point, I could say I wouldn't have been able to make it, you know, in an emergency in half an hour. But they were all set. And I didn't go on for seven months until the guy uh, took his vacation. But um, since then, uh, they can't take that kind of uh, chance. You sit around a lot because they really can't take that chance. Even uh, musicals, it happens you're on in intermission or after yeah. a lot more. I actually have never been on in mm. halfway through the show. Mm -hmm. hmm. Is that true for all of you that you pretty much have to be there? You know, I've, I've done such bizarre, sporadic understudy jobs over you know a, a, my whole career, and I've been lucky in that I've gone on a lot each time I've covered and. Uh, this is the first time with Our Town where I'm actually in the show, too. Uh, usually I'm not in the show. And once you've been on, especially, you just call in and, you know, you have to know that they might call you. But I've had really easygoing stage managers and, you know, uh, I don't li I live on the island. So, I mean, oh, right. it's not been... You have to been, be close enough to get there. Yeah, but it's never yes. been an issue. I mean, and, and, yeah, the play what I wrote, because there was just so much going on, they kind of forgot about me. They gave me a dressing room, my own dressing room, because it was a small cast. Uh, so sometimes I'd come in because it was just cool, but I didn't have to be there. It was hmm. weird. A lot of the times, uh, the standbys and the understudies will have to be within like a three or four block radius. So they can go to the movie theater as long as they have their cell phone buzzing. Right. Hmm. You know, to make sure that they can get in in the last second. Type There's thing. also something that, uh, I mean, like, like I said, I'm in our town. I had a small role and I cover the stage manager. But the first time I went on, I did have some notice and they swung me out of, of the show. So they put my understudy on as the undertaker and I got to sit down and watch the whole play with the audience, which was, I had been doing it for six months already and I was so destroyed by the show. Aww. I came backstage just weeping afterwards and I was like, you know, it was so strange to be in a show for six months and I knew it was good. I mean, I knew mm. it, it, because you know, you see the audience crying and you see the audience loving it. But I was like, you guys don't know. We're in an amazing production. <laughs> it's so right. beautiful. It's the staging. And I had no idea. And look, I mean, it was crazy. They were all hysterically <laughs> laughing at me, just like weeping. But it was a great, I, I was so thankful to get to do that, to be able to yeah. really see the minutia that Put yourself when you're in, in the, the show, you kind of, you know, we have a monitor backstage that, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, hmm. it's like you can see you know, barely blurry little black and white black figures. And figures and right? This was like in living color. It was, uh, thank God I got to do it. It was great. I have actually um, actually been on call for one show while understudying another really? show uh, for like a week. Mm -hmm. I, I've done that a couple of times. Uh, Where actually for Copenhagen, um, I was do they allowed me to do another show I did with my wife. Um, and uh, as long as I had an understudy on the 42nd Street show, um, and at one time I did call, and okay, I'm headed to this other show, and Copenhagen said, no, you're here today. Hmm. Okay, all right, let's change the, <laughs> wow. you know, and everything. And then I did that with uh, wow. 
I, I started rehearsing Stuff Happens at the public, but was still on call to understudy Alec Baldwin at the Laura Pels for mm -hmm. that week. So you sort of, I don't know if you guys, I tape my lines and everything, so I go over them every day. So I have these little things where I don't want to let it go. When you, even when the show closes, I'm like, really? I'll never use this again? Because I always have to be ready. No, I still have some. <laughs> those shows like two, year, two ago, I'm like, Really, I might. They might you never fall. Know. They might. Are you waiting for the revival? Well, that's the thing about being in the show is that you hear it every night. Yes. You know, you, yes. you, you, it gets in your brain by osmosis, I guess. So that's I incredibly that helpful. I think that's, it is. It's, it's so good to be there because because I know for me, I learn a lot better. You know, when I hear it than when I see it on a page, you know, trying to just memorize it by looking through it is one thing, but hearing it every night, <clears throat> I know the lines without even thinking I know the lines. Sure. So by the time I had to go on, I knew it way better. I knew that yeah. if I just opened my mouth yes. and words came out, that'd be the right words. Yeah. It's got to be a different function as a standby to not be even near the theater where you don't, you don't have to deal with that. I mean, at least as an understudy, we are affected by the whole experience of the show every night. Mm -hmm. So it's not so startling when we are in front of 1,600 people all of a sudden. People have made that distinction very clearly. I usually say understudy, but a lot of times I've been standby. My agent at one point was very clear about, no, you're a standby, not an understudy for this. And it is, I sort of, I've been a standby a lot more and I sort of have to be in the show in my mind for the, the, the way the tape is to, to sort of reproduce that show energy because I might get that call and then suddenly I'd be in that show that if you are an understudy, uh, you're in that energy already. Let me ask you a question because you brought up something that I was curious about. We contacted Actors Equity and asked for the different definitions of what is an understudy, what is a cover, what is a standby. And, and to read their response, mm. um, cover and standby are not equity terms. None of our contract language refers to these. So how in practicality or how in your own minds or the minds of other people who do this, what is the difference between being a standby versus an understudy? In my mind, a standby is an under, is a covering a role, but is not in the show regularly. I guess maybe, I, I don't know. Is that or or you're standby for a name. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. That's what I would think. Yeah, but I don't know. And, but you could stand by for more than one role at yeah. the same time. But you're not in the show. But you're not in the show. Every night if you're and a standby. And understudy is in the show but covers principal roles is how I think yes, a lot I, of people that's what it always been. think and of then it. A, and then a swing is somebody who kind of bounces around and covers ensemble. Covers right. the ensemble and all the small parts. Have you guys done swing? Oh yes. no! I haven't never. I, that is a brain. I don't understand how people exactly. do it. Yeah, I'm with I mean, you. I can I do, do it. drastically different parts. Right. I can't do like let's do this. Backwards, and now. then yes, like, on the left, kidding? on the left side, putting. Uh, there's I've no way. Right. I'd have a nosebleed. <laughs> <laughs> no way I could ever do that. I just don't have that kind of brain power to be able, to, uh, like, an, at an hour's notice, you know. Oh, you're actually going to be this guy. I know you were this guy yesterday, but now we need you to be this guy. Forget it. Forget it. I mean, I, I haven't been a swing because I've only mm -hmm. covered in one musical a long time ago, but I did cover in a, a off-Broadway play where there was three men, and I covered all three men. So in rehearsals, it was me, you know, and one was a German, one was a Brit, and one was American, and, 
you know, I mean, that Similar whole understudy rehearsal. I guess. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't like that. I played all three parts in the understudy rehearsal? Yeah. Oh. I mean, yes. you know, they would let yes. me sort of focus Sometimes on You point one, to the other part of the stage where <laughs> the person is yeah. Yeah. where I should actually, be. When you actually go on, you, you might say someone else's yes. lines yes. at some point. Yeah. We have in our town, because all of our understudies are in the show. <clears throat> so we call it, when we have understudy rehearsal, it's Bizarro Town. Uh, because, you know, suddenly the milkman is George and the paper boy is the milkman. And the you know the town gossip is the mother, and uh, it's strange because well, it's a ripple effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody. Because when somebody else, you know, I mean, and that's almost. I think all of us in the company have gone on, and because it's been running for a year, and uh, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's kind of great, and it, it's made us in a really strong company, but. Uh, yeah, rehearsals are, are odd. <laughs> well, you know, we're sort of talking around it. I want to ask, what is the actual preparation that either you do personally or that the show provides for you as an understudy? Strangely, a good preparation for doing this kind of thing was, you know, I lived out in L.A. for six years, and television, um, they don't give you any preparation. There's very little rehearsal, and the director is hired on so that you have to come with a full performance mm -hmm. and expect that that performance won't be changed, talked about, won't be worked with, won't be interpreted. That'll be it. And you have to do all the work there. And that's sort of what I've had to do as an understudy is I have to, however, without imitation as much as um, trying to do what's being done, without um, bring it up to where the people who do the show uh, every, every night are. And I, I do my, um, you know, do the lines on a tape doing everybody else's lines and so that I'm doing the whole show hmm. while I do other things so that it is kinesthetically in my body so all the stuff that I have no control of that we were talking about, makeup and everybody's yeah. going to be poking you and, and pushing you here and there, at least I'll have the lines down and the blocking. That'll be in my mind or that'll be in my body. You know, that's, so that's what I do. I think it's different <clears throat> in a musical as well because there are more technical things to deal with. You've got to learn the music. You've got to learn oh. the lyrics. And um, at Mamma Mia, we get what the rehearsal they provide is, of course, a music rehearsal with the musical director and uh, and then a blocking rehearsal with stage management, a staging rehearsal with dance captain, and then a rehearsal to put all of that together with the actor alone and then an understudy put in, we call it, where you will do a run through with all the rest of the understudies and um, you'll get to wear your costumes, which they didn't used to do years ago. I don't know if they do it in in your shows, but they do at Mamma Mia, which is really helpful. And how often do you do that to be prepared? Um, well, we have regular understudy rehearsals, depending on what else is going on, if we have um, replacement rehearsals and put-ins and things. But I would say that could be once a month, could be once mm -hmm. every two months, depending on how many new people are in the show and having to get up to speed. But I would say, really, for me, I do a lot of work on my own time to mm -hmm. prepare as an understudy, and I think that that really pays off in terms of, I mean, I remember I did Mamma Mia on the road before I did it on Broadway for nine months, and the first time I went on, 
for Donna, I had my apartment set up like I put the table and the chairs and yeah. everywhere like yeah. it was on <laughs> stage. And yeah. I had I was pouring water while I was saying the lines because it's that sort of thing that can completely throw you off the mm -hmm. first time with the lights and and as you're saying all the little distractions. And I needed to know physically what it was going to feel like to say these lines and do what I had to do at the same time. So uh, maybe not everybody needs to do that, but... You dressed your cat up. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> one, was one was Australian, one was... Oh, it was... I, I would say, I mean, it, it's a unique, uh, you know, hard-to-define thing being an understudy in that, you know, you... It depends on your stage manager and your director how much of you you can bring to it. You certainly don't want to... You know, you want to make the show work. You want to give the other actors what they need and expect. But we are unique individuals, yes. so it's this bizarre kind of, uh, you know, morphing of what you bring to the table mixed with what the person. And in my case, we've gone, we've had five different stage managers who've all been quite different in the role. The first one being our director, who you know, was. A, a very unique experience to be in a play with That's your director. As opposed to the, the stage manager, the character. The character, As opposed yes, to yes, the yes, stage yes, manager right. who yeah, we it's rehearse confusing, with. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, it, it is, um, and, and in this case, our director, David Cromer, you know, encouraged me to bring Jay Russell to the role, you know, and not try to do an impersonation of someone else. But each time is different. And I think that first time we go on, that shot out of a cannon, so often, you know, the response from everyone is like, awesome, you're amazing, the show went on, you saved the day. And then the second show, it's like, yeah, could you take two steps yeah. downstage? And that one thing, if you could come in, that's when, you know, you start getting a little more notes. There is a yeah. little respect to, and I, you know, as an understudy, if we're just gonna look in, through the understudy lens, uh, say, I, I do what I do, but, it's a, the respect, they had all this rehearsal, right. they put themselves process, into yeah. it, and they're very easy with it, and they have become these characters. And so to face somebody different, it's exciting to have somebody, to, but to, to have somebody with a totally different rhythm, with a totally different idea, maybe line readings, yeah. line, one of those things is good and exciting, but all of those things is why would they have to deal with it at this point when it's their show? And I think as an understudy, one of the principles you should have is to make sure that you're not disruptive to the people who yeah. do it regularly. And if that means that you just have to do things, certain things technically, even if it's, it doesn't feel like the right impulse or something, you still have to be there for that person. That is our mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. um, now, I think we can try to live in that as well. And I always appreciate the experiences where you can really do good scene work with somebody that's totally different, it's totally a, a different feeling than what's done on stage, but technically speaking, I don't want to mess up that person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's having freedom within a form. I mean, especially within a musical situation where there might be 30 dancers, you know, going crazy around you, you have to make sure you're not going to hurt anybody yeah, or they're yeah, not yeah. going to hurt you. So like you said, you know, you, you, can, you can act and bring yourself to it, but at the same time, you have to be very, very keenly aware that they have been doing this a very, very specific way around somebody else for all this time that you can't then throw a monkey wrench in there <clears throat> just because it's something you feel like doing, mm -hmm. you know, because you might end up literally physically hurting somebody if not, you know, damaging the story and, you know, any other. But I would say that in, like in your case and in, in any case where you're, you're the lead, like you're the title, like mm -hmm. if I'm playing Phantom, um, 
then after a period of time, after how many shows that you've been able to do, then you start dictating a little bit more sure, because yeah. this is my take on this character. Yeah. Sure. And then everybody starts yeah, adapting right. you. Yeah. So when yeah. you're on, like a replacement. then right. they start yeah. adapting sure. to you because the show's about you. Yeah, you know? I agree. And, that, and, that, and that's it's, when it it's interesting the reaction that, 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 I mean, at least that I've gotten, and you've probably had this experience too, where like, I mean, personally, Chad Kimball's the guy who plays the lead usually, and I'm very different. I mean, I'm except I'm, I'm very much taller than Chad, and also just you know physically and and the way I move is very different. So like the 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 way that people were responding to me on stage, no matter how closely I was doing it to him, it was still very different. The reaction they were because, talking to your hmm. sternum, kind of. Right. Yeah. yeah already it's, it's such a different you know it's such a different dynamic when you just bring a different style of movement and a different physicality to it. Is it alone, with the voice not. too? I um, you know like say you do a duet with. Is that just a technical uh, mutuality, uh, melding, or, I, I mean, we're talking about scene work, yeah. uh, doing the same kind of scene work, and I understand that, but with musicals specifically, if you're going to do a duet with somebody, ha have you, have you, find you it. worked with them? But the first time yeah. you Sometimes do it, it there's a little finesses yeah. that you miss. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's nothing more exciting than going on with somebody and have never have done a scene with them, have yeah. never have spoken a word to them or sung a song with them, and all of a sudden just having to go in front of 1,600 people or something and try to create this, yeah. try to create it's the chemistry, it's try to create it is. all of it. It's really, really exciting to be like, okay, here we go. I always go. remember um, a couple of times where I'm doing a scene uh, with somebody, and sometimes they're, they're people who are famous, who I've admired and watched, and suddenly I'm doing a scene with them, and I get a look, and I have that moment where, is, is that the character looking at me? Or right. is that the actor saying, I'm really in the wrong place? <laughs> and you just don't know. Brian, you've got an interesting situation in that Chad has developed a very distinctive voice for his character. Mm -hmm. And have you been asked to or have you tried to adopt that voice as well, or do you have your own voice? I actually have uh, adopted it a little bit because I've adopted and then adapted because. Um, I feel like the voice that he brought to it, Chad's voice sits higher than mine anyway, uh, which is almost necessary for, for uh, that character, especially the singing, because it's very high, and I'm a baritone, the, the character's a tenor, so I've had to sort of, you know, knock that up anyway. Um, but then hearing the way he does it, it helps with that southern Memphis twang to sort of bring the character voice that he invented to it. So I sort of, uh, I'm sort of a mimic anyway. Mm. Just by my nature, I like to mimic things and, and hear things and, and do them. So hearing his voice, I sort of started to lapse into that rhythm. Mm. And then after I got accustomed to that rhythm and that accent and the voice that he does, I just then made it my own. So yes, I'm using what he brought to it, but then I just sort of molded it into my own thing. But, but it is very different from me. The whole thing, it's just a lot higher up and the whole thing's up here. So, so the, whole, the whole voice and the whole character has to change. Mm. Yeah. I think if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I mean, even if I was going to sort of quote unquote mimic the person I'm understudying, I am a different person. So right, sure. it will, so I feel like, you know, it's not about copying, but it's about, I think some actors who are understudies sometimes might look at it like, well, I'm gonna do anything but that choice because I want to make it my own. And I think sometimes it's like, that choice actually really, really works. And if you do it the same, it'll still be different because you're a different actor. Well, you know? I mean, currently, I believe the stage manager is Michael Shannon. Yes. And 
I've not seen either of your performances, but just knowing his work and meeting yeah. you here, I somehow suspect you and Michael Shannon are always going to feel very different in that role. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've had all, across the board all very uh, Cromer, Stephen Kunkin, Scott Parkinson, Michael Shannon, and uh, Jason Harner. I mean, all very different actors. I mean, the, the unique thing about the character of the stage manager is that it is sort of you're almost in your own play and that right. you really relate with the audience and not with the other actors. I mean, it was a bear to learn 20 pages of monologues or whatever. I mean, it's a lot to learn, but once I learned it, you know, it's in there and, you know, it's served me well and I've got to go on a lot, which has been great. I mean, it's just, it's very exposed because I don't know, I, you've seen the show, right? Yes. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. we're yeah. in a very small theater with the full stage lights on, inches away from the audience, mm. in just regular blue jeans, and it's, you know, you're very exposed when you're like, I have a five-page monologue, and you know, and... Uh, you gotta trust yeah. that. Yeah, and it's just, uh, it's been great. Mm. I've really loved doing it, you know. Paul, you told me something interesting before we started uh, taping, which is that you had been understudying Raul for oh, quite a while, but you've only recently taken on the Phantom as well. As you work your way up in Phantom, <laughs> you pick up different parts and different, um, different specialties and stuff like that. And I had been initially hired to cover Raoul, and then we had a Phantom who left, a cover who left, and they needed, a, they needed another cover. And I thought about it for a while. This was like two and a half years into the show. And I've always, it's always been like a challenge to even think about it because it's just a very difficult part. Because um, it's the intensity and, and the range and everything. And um, I mean, it's got so many like egg on your face places, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, there, there are times where you're on stage and it's just, it's just pure silence. And you just have to keep going. Even if you mess, if you forget your words, you just have to keep going no matter what. I mean, um, so I, I decided to go for it, and I auditioned, and in the, uh, the audition was me working with the music director for a month and a half. Hmm. Wow. Uh, and then at, after that, sitting down with kind of the regional directors of Phantom and giving them an idea of what my take would be on it. And they had still yet to decide for and good? And then they decided. Wow. And they said, go ahead, You're, you got it. And then... This is, and, and I, I was already comfortable with the stage. I mean, I've already been in the show for a long time. Then I musically rehearsed for two or three more months before I even touched the stage. Um, because they have, they're very, very specific. Every, there's so much finesse when it comes to every word. And it's not like they're trying to put you in a box or anything like that. They just, they want to cultivate you and slowly grow. I mean, if you've ever seen Phantom more than once, there are many different takes on that part. Um, and then there's another six or seven weeks of stage rehearsal. And then, if you're lucky, you get a put-in. And the put-in for Phantom is hugely technical. They bring in the entire crew. They bring in all the sets. They have all the principals show up. This is just such a rare thing. Yeah. Um, but because it's so technical and there's so much set involved, there's, there's all these safety issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and the costumes are massive. And all the, the makeup takes an hour. And the... The, the skull and all these things, uh, there's so much involved with it. Um, so, I mean, you start rehearsal six months before you even touch the stage. Wow. We've been talking about sometimes how the audience responds when they understand an understudy is on. Have you had the experience of any of you having either the author or the director turn up when you're going on? Because 
again, understanding, understanding what the put-ins can be, you're not always working with the director when you're put into a show. And so, you know, what happens if Benny and Bjorn show up one night and, and you're on in Mamma Mia? Um, what happens if Hal Prince decides to take in Phantom? <laughs> Hal shows up regularly for that show. I, I have not been on when he's been there yet, but I, I know understudies who have gone on like their second or third show when Hal's shown up. Hmm. Just because he happens to be there and he just watches. And he's such a nice guy and he gives such a, he is, usually gives great approval and everything like that. So it's not too stressful, but I couldn't imagine. Hmm. They really do consider, I, I can't think of any um, specific points, but they really do consider they're glad to have you as part of the family. So they want to see you do well. I, I haven't been approached by a director or an author who'd come back and said, oh God, I've got notes for you, or, or anything like that. It, it, it really is a temporary thing. I mean, they'd love to embrace, you know, if somebody left, they'd love to embrace you. But uh, everybody re realizes what a courageous thing it is uh, to go on, and they, breathe this huge sigh of relief, especially if producers come. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I did one where I was understudying two other characters, but the, there was a guy who didn't have a voice, and his understudy was on that weekend, all weekend, for another character. So I was just like, well, I've been to rehearsals. I think, I guess I could do it. Wow. And uh, wow. I had plenty of time to go over the lines and everything. Huge sigh of relief. No further work, but a big fruit basket. Huge fruit basket. Let me ask, from, from a practical level, as professionals, um, I want to make very clear, you all have had acting opportunities which are not understudying. I shouldn't say that you've made your entire lives at this. Um, how do you make the choice, certainly if you get an understudy role, especially one that gives you in some cases, several years, you may be in the ensemble. How do you make the choice whether to, to, to stay with that or to look perhaps for, to continue to audition? Do you continue to audition when you've got these gigs and are you prepared to, to do something else if the opportunity comes along? I know I'm continuing to audition just because, uh, <clears throat> you know, I feel like any, any point that we reach is never the place we want to end up like oh I'm done I can retire now you know like so so I, I feel like I'm always looking for the next step for me you know the logic behind taking this part was in hopes of maybe one day taking it over or you know going uh, on the tour or or whatever it's always trying to you know take the next step up it's like you said we don't we don't make a career out of saying you know I want to be an understudy when I grow up it's you know you, you're looking for other opportunities so in the meantime while I'm doing this and while I'm you know waiting to possibly get bumped up or not I'm still going to be looking for other opportunities where I can, you know, take my career to the next level. It's not just, you know, if you stay stagnant or just make lateral moves, then you're not really building a career, you know. Hmm. A job security. Yeah. yeah. It's you know. a mixed blessing. Yeah. yeah. Golden handcuffs, as they say. There's been people in Phantom that have been there for 22 years. Oh, my. And they've put their kids through college, <clears throat> and, you know, that's job security. And job security in this business is scarce. So... But there is the trap. The trap is okay. is that this, I mean, especially with Phantom, I'm sure Mama Mia is I've like that. I've been there for five and a half years. <clears throat> the trap is is that you stop auditioning and you stop looking. And we have to keep expanding ourselves, otherwise we yeah. get stagnant in our shows. And 
It's very hard to leave, though, unless it's for something equally as good, whatever that means to you. Whether yeah. you know, it's it's great to have a job like Phantom or Mamma Mia in a hit show on Broadway. <laughs> You're not on the road. You get to be home with your family. You can audition. You can audition for other opportunities. And although you're in the ensemble, you do have opportunities to go on in leading roles, which is, it's kind of, and if you're in a happy cast with a happy backstage situation, and Mamma Mia certainly is one of those, you know, there are lots of people who would love to have my job, I'm sure. And um, so I feel pretty fortunate. But yes, mm -hmm. you do have to keep putting the feelers out and seeing if there's mm -hmm. something better or equally as good. One of the balances in that is being an understudy on Broadway versus playing a larger part, <coughs> off or even off-off. You mentioned that there was a point when you were, I think it was during Copenhagen, no, mm -hmm. it, it, where there was the overlap and you were trying, you were doing a show with your wife at the right. same time. Yeah. Um, does the, did the shows let you, give you the freedom to do that often? Not often. No, and uh, I wasn't able to overlap uh, from, <coughs> I was understudy of Time Stand Still at the Manhattan Theater Club, uh, and uh, I got Lend Me a Tenor, and I wasn't able to overlap, so I had to quit Time Stand Still before the end. And not a lot. I mean, I wasn't able to call in with almost any other show than Copenhagen, I think because it was so set, um, they were allowed to do it. Um, yeah, to do other jobs um, if, if the understudy thing is the paramount thing, because it's usually the Broadway uh, thing. I, you know, I have uh, a young-ish family in New Jersey, and if I put together too many off-Broadway or off-off-Broadway things, we look at our finances at the end of the year and mm. says, Daddy's got to go back to work, doesn't he? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that's, that's paramount. And sometimes I, I will, uh, you know, do a play or, or, or something. You just can't, a lot of times you can't get to Broadway, or I can't get to Broadway because of the TV star status kind of thing, and, and uh, have a part and make enough money. So I like being on Broadway the way I am, hmm. you know. We've had, I mean... Uh, our town is off-Broadway, and so the money is much, much less than those of you on Broadway. The positive of this particular job, which has been a real gift, is that we have a thing called a, a more remunerative employment uh, clause. So if you do get television, a commercial, radio, whatever, your understudy goes on and you're excused from the show. And it's, that's been a great thing to be here at home for a year and get to do all these other uh, opportunities that are more lucrative, that balance out you know, doing an off-Broadway show. I think at Phantom's really good about keeping their people happy. So they often give leaves for seven weeks. I did a show last year in the middle of, and they just gave me a seven-week leave to go do a new Lacusa musical down in the Signature. And it was such a great, refreshing experience. Mm -hmm. And then be able to come back, and they know that you're fresh. They know yeah. that you've, you've been able to do something different. And I think if directors want to keep their... Yeah. If people happy, then they'll... Mama Mia, Mama Mia gave me, when a long time ago, gave me a paternity leave. Because um, I said, I think I'll leave after six months. And um, we were pregnant for, with our second. And so my wife said, is there any other way you could work this out? And they gave me a paternity leave. I had never had that from a show, but 
I'd never done That's great. a commercial show you know, where you can leave and then come back. They are great. Well, I've taken a leave as well to do other work, and many people in the cast have. And I think it's important when management realizes that it is a long run and it does refresh someone yeah, to get to go off and feeds you. I mean, you, you have know, to do it. Yeah. Feel like you're creating something new again and and come back. So hmm. it's when you have the notice that you're going to be going on, among all the other things in your head, are you sending emails and making calls to family and friends <laughs> to Putting say, your Facebook on. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come see me, come see me. It's totally Facebook true. and Twitter, man. I mean, it, it, with, the, with the, this kind of uh, technological age, it's amazing yeah. because you throw out one mass text, a Facebook status, and a tweet, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, 100 people there in two hours. Wow. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's been pretty great as far as that goes. But usually, I mean, there's the difference between being put on because the person's sick that day, like finding out at 4.30 or something like right. that. And yeah. then finding out he has a vacation yeah. mm -hmm. a couple months ahead of time where you can bring in, you know, the family and everything. Right, your grandmother so. can fly in from sure. Tampa right. if you've got enough notice. But, but it's amazing. There's even uh, somebody who tweets as Broadway understudies and literally just tweets out notices when they hear that people are going Seriously? on. Yeah. Really? I follow them. Oh. So, really? I actually, I had, the, I had the experience the other day, which was just so surreal for me because I'm not like a big Broadway guy and, and, and I had put out, you know, a big tweet and a Facebook thing because I went on last Tuesday, this past Tuesday. Uh, and when I got home, I had a message from Ben Vereen uh, on my, on Twitter saying, I saw you in Memphis today, and it was just such a, an inspiring performance. And I mean, like, you know, for me, some, a guy who's never been on Broadway, and it's Ben Vereen, you know, writing me on Twitter. I'm like, oh, this is a different world now. Wow. And he showed up to the show because he had seen it before. He had seen Chad Montego do it, and he wanted to see it again. Oh and he, he wrote me a message just saying how much it was, you know, I love that it. it was so moving. And for me, you know, that was just huge to think. I mean, not only did this whole Twitter thing work, but I was like, oh, wow, Ben Vereen has a computer. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've asked about the fans, and I should also ask, again, on a professional level, when you go on, is that a moment that presumably you tell your agent, but do, do your agents try to suddenly start making the calls oh, and absolutely. say, my client's going on, and do... You know, do people turn up? Do other cast, do casting directors show up to see you play that part? I, I mean, in my case, absolutely. I mean, the first time I was on was two weeks straight, and I had some notice because we were going. Cromer was leaving the show for the, uh, and so I mean, yeah, I. We paid, I mean, you, you deducted on your taxes, but I paid for a lot of casting directors and, you know, various people to come see the show because the show was still newish that people hadn't seen it. I mean, it's harder maybe with a long-running show. It's got to be a new show. It's hard mm -hmm. to get people to come and see You know, so, and we get a staff rate. So, I mean, I, believe me, I mean, I was working that as much, and my agents, too, were fantastic about that. Hmm. But yeah, maybe harder with a show that's running ten years, where people are like, uh, "I've seen it." Yeah, already, you know? although I did, I had the opportunity to actually take over the role of Donna a few times for like four months at a time, and oh. so I did a big mail out, yeah. and even that, you know, I gave people lots of notice, and it was still hard to get them because everyone has seen it, really. You know, eight years later, seven years later, there, it's not easy, but hmm. you know, you try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and we have, I mean, because like I was saying it's full stage light and you see the audience up close, I mean, we just Why have yes, a lot of George, celebrities the out there <laughs> kind of every week. So well, it's I very, you know, my first time on, I was like, hello, Richard Thomas, you know, and oh. I was on last week and Martin McDonough and Steven Schwartz were there. And I mean, you see them sitting right there and you're like, hello, you know, it's, <laughs> it's uh, something. They do tell observing. the character who plays the stage manager, they do let you know if there's someone big out there just so you're not. You know. That's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. If you have a past with them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, I have to say, I appreciate you sharing all of these stories with us because I think hopefully now when people do see these slips, they will realize the incredible challenges you take on in these roles. Every actor is very brave in what they do, but an understudy is, is in some ways climbing an even bigger mountain and with a lot less time to acclimatize to the height. So uh, thank you all for the work that you do. Thank you for sharing these stories. And thanks to you for joining us today. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theater. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theater Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theater, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theater television programs which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits and since they began have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson grants which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the wing and thanks for watching.